What's up, church planners, pastors, and disciple makers? My name is Jared Huntley, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I'm with my good friend Logan Douglas, who's coming to you from Reykjavik, Iceland. You are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by ordinary church planters that exists to encourage and equip other church planters and pastors to make disciples in hard places. Logan, what is going on, man? Uh, let's see. It's Tuesday. <laughs> it is. Yeah, not too much. I mean, yeah, not too much. Uh, as you can, I mean, COVID, we're in COVID wave three here in Iceland. Yeah, you guys keep going like didn't back have, and forth, man. It's like, what's up with that? It's an accordion. It's like running in the military. You remember when you used to do those like long oh, yeah. ability group runs? And then you have to like ca- wait for every, all the slow people to catch up and you'd like jog in place. Uh, uh, yeah, I hated yeah. that. And so, and so we, uh, we are on wave three. <laughs> and so we didn't have church in person on Sunday. We, we've gone back to live streaming Man. and um because of just a variety of kind of restrictions that are going on we uh it's just you know it just fe- you lose track of the days um honestly and so uh yeah i mean today's been a good day carla and i ran some errands we did that adulting thing where yep. you know we went and bought uh fish for dinner tonight we're having a couple come over um uh and eat with us and their two kids so we're excited about that awesome and, then I talked to one of my buddies who is way smarter than me and was telling me about how he's, I think, figured out the universe. And um, <laughs> so my brain's tired, but uh, it's been a good day. What's going on with you? Man, not a lot. Um, I It's one of those days where I don't really want to work and it's hard to focus and concentrate. And I kind of just want to go play, but trying to knock some stuff out, trying to get things off the to-do list. So it's been good. It's been good here. That's like, it's weather's cooling down. It's nice outside. Uh, it's been a good season of ministry. So yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, overall things are going well. I'm enjoying my nice new, uh, we just got, you know, finished doing these built-in bookshelves and desk desks. Mm-hmm. So like I've always, for the past 10 years, I see pastors in their really awesome offices and And I'll be honest, man, this is like the answer to my prayers and a dream come true because I finally got my own built-in bookshelves and a desk where I can sit and I don't have to work at the kitchen table or in a random chair in the living room that's really bad for my back or at a coffee shop. Like I've actually got a home office. So I am you really have thankful. Uh, yeah, I've arrived. Like I've, I'm officially like on, you know, like church planner status now because I've got my own home office and it's pretty amazing. So now I just need to fill my bookshelves with many leather bound books and all those good things. So, yeah, that's, um, there was something I was going to ask you when you were talking about you were being tired. One, I've seen your setup on the, the Facebook and it looks great. And so good job. Um, did you see that the army has released a field manual for holistic, um, health mm-hmm. and fitness that includes like spiritual health. And, but one of the things they're advocating for is like soldiers taking naps. Have you no, seen I this? Haven't. You need to look into okay. this. I, I, I have it saved. I want to say it's FM seven 22 or something like that. Um, but I was like, I'm going to deep dive into this cause there's probably some sermon, uh, some sermon mm-hmm. applications or some, some introductions, some points that can be brought from it. Yeah. But I was just, do you nap? 
Do you I take don't naps? take naps. No, I, I can't. Do you fall follow asleep. Jesus, bro? <laughs> I do, but I can't fall asleep during the day, man. I just can't do it. It's never been <sighs> able to. Uh, well, I say this on Sunday afternoons. Sometimes I do because usually I am just wiped. By the time I get home from church on Sundays, I am exhausted. So I'll usually just veg out and chill for a few hours. And then we have like, we have meetings on Sunday evenings, usually elders meetings a couple times a month and other types of meetings. And so I'll start late afternoon. I'll prep for those and then we'll have the meetings. But um, other than that, no, I can't nap, man. just can't do it. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of naps and, uh, was listening to a podcast where this Presbyterian pastor was being interviewed and he was, he was saying that part of his daily rhythms is taking naps. And I was just like, you know, just 20 minute power naps, just kind of to push through. And I, I have been in places and you probably, you might be there right now to where it's like three o'clock, two, three o'clock after lunch. You just feel like, man, oh yeah, I have, every day. you know, an hour to three hours left of work in me, but I can't focus. And this guy just says, Hey, just take, take a nap. 15, 20 minute well, nap. They do do it, like other parts of the world, like siestas, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's an actual thing where they just, you know, around one or two o'clock take a nap and then they go back to work for a few more hours. So, I mean, I can see why it would make sense, but I don't know. I just feel like it's per, it would be difficult to make that work in American culture. We've talked about that before. Um, yeah, you know, maybe in a different cultures it might it might be more realistic. But I don't think anyone in Iceland would be mad at me if I took probably naps. not. It's more laid uh, back and, there. And so I think yeah, yeah, because it's you know I I, I drink coffee if I really need to push through. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I, we uh, were talking about that before we started recording, and you told me interesting some something interesting about your coffee drinking habits you want to share that with mm-hmm. our listeners uh yes so every day i wake up and i kind of have the same routine of i brew a pot of coffee so i have just a normal coffee so machine far, so I brew a pot of coffee many people yep. do that uh, yep yep and and um once it's brewed it sits there until my wife wakes up which is typically uh, a little bit later than so you I. don't drink it and after it's been made i, I don't i don't drink okay. it as soon as i make okay. it no nope what happens is uh, once i get done making it i go to the refrigerator where i have a container that contains yesterday's coffee and uh-huh. i drink day old cold black coffee wow that is what i that is what i drink every so day the, the, really the every million day. dollar question is why, why why do you do that you know some people would say it's because i have like some self-loathing <laughs> you know maybe i hate myself or uh i so it has to do with uh, and this is just i'm trying to overhaul my life and so i'm i aspire to be a coffee aficionado and a connoisseur and i'd like to be one of those guys who grounds the beans with a a hand crush mm-hmm. like bean crusher not grinder mm-hmm. and you know does the pour over and the um the aero press and the french press and all of those things but it really just has to do with utility uh when i was in college and really started to drink coffee on a regular basis i um i started drinking coffee when uh it was early in the morning and i was at the gym and i was studying for tests 
pretty much that were going to happen at 8 a.m. <laughs> so I'd go to the gym at like 6. I'd um, get on like the recumbent bike and I would start cramming for a test that was in two hours. And I worked like 50 hours a week when I was in college, um, which I'm not advocating yeah. for. Um, and I don't want a medal for. It was, it was, <laughs> I, I think there's workaholism in my, in my genetics. And... So I, I needed coffee. I needed caffeine to focus, um, and but I needed it quick. And so this whole waiting for it to get cold nonsense didn't make sense. And so I would get them to fill up a styrofoam cup full of ice, and then they would um, give me a couple pumps of the coffee in the little pump, and I would just chug it, and then I would do this a few times, and I just grew to enjoy really bad cold coffee. <laughs> like... You know, the gym, the Human Performance Center in Brookhaven, Mississippi, doesn't have the best coffee. And so something about just cold, bad coffee, um, it, I don't know. It, maybe it's psychological. Like maybe it. it's just, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I just, it's, it's like, you know, people who are chefs going yeah. and eating just a McDonald's double cheeseburger. Yeah. There's something seedy about it. You're just like, yeah, I know I shouldn't. There's better stuff, but this just feels right. <laughs> just feels right well if you want to become yeah. a coffee aficionado you're probably gonna to have to get away from the you know day old you know pot of Folgers coffee that you you know like brewed 24 hours not ago. even that man like that's Folgers would be a step oh. up I get the stuff from Costco Yikes. this is just bulk <laughs> okay bulk medium roast stuff that I don't even know the brand yeah. name well I know there's probably some of our listeners who are just like you know pulling their hair out right now as they're hearing this they're like oh my gosh can't believe it yeah. I personally don't I care know. that much because I'm not a coffee aficionado I just as long as it's got caffeine in it and it helps me wake up that's really what I care about with coffee so yeah, yeah. well if you are <laughs> If you are judging me out there in podcast world for not being super fancy with my coffee, uh, you can also, you know, you can uh, help me by sending me, you know, coffee tips. If you want to email me and, and give me a good coffee regimen that I need to follow or uh, whatever, I, I again, I aspire to do it, but uh, yet to be done. Yeah. But enough about me. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I did see other than your awesome desk setup, Jared, was you had a big announcement at your church um, this past Sunday. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we announced that uh, we're doing a new emphasis for foster and adoption care uh, at our church. And so we've we've started up uh, a grant for members of our church where uh, members are going to be able to apply for a grant of up to $5,000 if uh, they're pursuing adoption, which is going to be, uh, I think, really helpful for people to kind of remove that financial barrier, uh, which is one of the biggest reasons people don't adopt right now. Uh, and then also we're partnering with another local ministry here to uh, just help with the uh, foster and uh, foster care crisis that we've got in the District of Columbia. So uh, there's over 1,200 kids in foster care in D.C. right now. Um, and one of the things that this ministry is doing is they're forming teams to put around at-risk families, especially single moms who uh, are just in a tough spot and may be at risk of losing their children to uh, the the system, to the foster system. And so what we are doing as a church is we're forming a team to be able to come around one of these families, one of these single moms and support her for, you know, maybe a year or so um, while she kind of gets back on her feet. And um, so doing things for her, like, uh, you know, there's somebody on the team who will be there for emotional support, somebody who will be there to help with budget, somebody who'll be there to help go get groceries, somebody who's uh, will help babysit just so that it can kind of relieve 
relieve that burden off of the mom, off of the family so that we can prevent more kids from entering into the foster system. Because that's, that's one of the biggest problems is that we've got more and more kids going in, but we don't have enough foster families to take care uh, of these kids. And so it's, it's a real big issue. Uh, there's more, uh, you know, kids in, in foster care in D.C. right now than there is in Virginia or Maryland. And so um, and Virginia and Maryland are more populous uh, than D.C. So uh, we're excited about it, man. It's been, you know, my wife and I are in the process of adopting internationally right now. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 important to us and something we really want to uh, emphasize the church. So it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Praise God. That's it's a worthwhile ministry. I'm excited to see what God does through Pillar DC um, through that. Yeah, man. So uh, today we're going to be talking about building and utilizing the team, the art of delegation, and the necessity of development. So uh, is that is that me or you? What that noise in the background? That's yeah. Me. I can't figure out how to turn my oh. notifications off. I'm <laughs> sorry. So our listeners are just no, you're fine. Look, this is a podcast by everyday planters for everyday planters. All right, we don't pretend to be a you know professional shtick. So we are. Mm. I got a kitchen in my background. I literally can see all of your your plates and your spices. There's my spices. Your, there's my there's spices right there. Nap, nap, napkins yep. down there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I have a halo above my head because the light in the room is shining. So you're so holy. Well, Jesus made me holy. So that's, that's right. right. I'm not holy in and of myself. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about building and utilizing the team, just talking about, uh, the art of delegation and why it's so important to develop, uh, new leaders on your team. Uh, and I know Logan, this is something that, you know, you're, you're pretty passionate about. It's something that you, you know, believe is really important as leaders that we, you know, understand how to lead teams. Teams. And I think for church planters, it's, you know, especially important because right at the very beginning of your church planting journey, you're going to be building what, you know, we call a core team in the church planting war- world, this initial group of people with who are going to basically form the foundation of your church. And a lot of DNA gets created in those early stages, right, of this core team phase. And you guys are in that phase right now. So, uh, Logan, why don't you just kind of share briefly why you think this is so important to understand how to, uh, you know, build and utilize a team and maybe some of the uh, like unique challenges that come with that. Yeah. Um, the first, I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm okay. going to, you know, I was, um, we both were in the army yep. and I, I spent 12 Ooh. years in the army. Sorry. Yep. Who are? <laughs> Um, I spent 12 years in the Army, uh, got up to a sort of senior position as a non-commissioned officer. Um, And so team was very important in the success of the mission of any military um, unit, whether that was the smallest unit to being a squad or team and then um, a a team then a squad, then a platoon, then a company, and beyond. Um, everybody had a role to play, mm-hmm. and you could not accomplish the mission using just one person. Um, everyone had a specific 
um, either MOS, so job, and then a rank as, uh, you know, their seniority and their responsibility. Uh, and so I saw this play out and, you know, it's amazing what organizations such as the military or other organizations that involve teams are able to do when everyone's doing their part. Mm. And in any team, there's a leader. There's someone who's a part of the team who is leading the team, we hope by example, um, but who really everyone looks to when there's any need for direction or development and things like that. And so that was kind of my background coming into Christianity. Then when I, I looked in scripture, and I especially when I looked at the leaders in the New Testament, um, you know, post-Pentecost, you see that character is really the defining aspect of a leader in the church. Um, and so you see these qualifications in the pastorals and in First Peter. And one of the things that is not necessarily only character is the fact that these men are leading their families well. They're managing their household. And you see a lot of God's usage of leaders who are leading his people that he's assigned all throughout scripture. I mean, you just see the early patriarchs of the Old Testament, and then you see Jesus, and then you see church leaders, and then you see the church entrusted to elders. And so leadership is is really a big thing in scripture. And so why am I so passionate about this? Well, I, there's three things in scripture, uh, and then there's one just really practical application. The three things in scripture are there is a section of verses in Second Kings, I do believe, where it is David's kind of parting words. And he has all of these, um, if you know anything about Hebrew literature, the way in which he speaks is drawing attention to the importance of what he's about to say. And he says that just leaders are like blessings to people mm. that when a man rules justly that the people flourish mm. and so you you see that there's this flourishing when a leader is godly when a leader cares you know is a and then i mean most especially we see this in christ and in ephesians 5 we see that husbands are to lead their families especially lead their wives but in a manner, it's not oppressive, it's selfless, sacrificial for the wife's flourishing, you know, for her flourishing in the faith, for her purity, for um, her to thrive. And so it, it's, it's selfless, it's sacrificial. Uh, and so we see that as an image in Scripture. And again, we see um, the image of, of how parents lead their children and in and, and the fear and admonition of the Lord and how local church leaders lead a local family. So if, if the church is the family of God and these little local expressions and elders in a way are these kind of foster dads or these under shepherds. And so there's just so much in the Bible that speaks to the necessity for good and godly leaders and the flourishing of the faith of those who are under their care. Now, Another reason, a very practical reason, is just math. You can do more when you have more people involved. Mm -hmm. So if you are the only person trying to accomplish a big task and you are not utilizing the people around you, then you, um, you're hindered. 
you're not using the manpower. You're not using the giftings of other people. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a whole host of other ways that I could talk about this, but it's just, you know, if we want to do the work that God's called us to, especially in the church. So I'll, I'll give a really quick um, ending to this, and then we can uh, riff a, a, a little bit more on maybe some other details. But as I read Scripture, I see three main job requirements or, or job descriptions for the role of a pastor, for a, an elder. Uh, in Acts 6, we see that you have the ministry of prayer and the ministry of word. So the Hellenistic Jewish widows were not getting service. They were being, it was, you know, many people believe that it was because of racism in the church. Could be, could not be, but the end was something was, something was amiss. There was an issue. They weren't getting treated fairly. And so the apostles, instead of taking it upon themselves, get the church to assign these deacons, these servants, who all were Hellenistic as well, to help with this particular ministry. Mm -hmm. And they say, because it would not be right for us to ignore the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word. Um, So there's, you know, and within that, that can be so many things, praying for your people, praying during worship services, um, leading your church in prayer. Ministry of the word can be everything from sermon prep to uh, teaching a, a certain type of equip class or, you know, a Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday school, um, things like that. But it also could be pastoral counseling and biblical counseling, bearing, you know, grief counseling where you're ministering the word to people. But in Ephesians 4.12, it's equipping, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So this pastor-centric model that is large in the Western church, uh, this single person, we pay them to do the work of the ministry model, I think not only goes against what we see in Scripture, but it handicaps the church to do what God's called them to do. Like, if we believe that the church is filled with saints who have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and a gifting from the Holy Spirit, and that we're supposed to be working like the body, all working together, performing different functions, then the leader is to develop and equip Mm -hmm. and guide other people to not only flourishing individually in their faith, but the church as as a corporate body. And then that blessing their community, blessing their city, blessing the world. Yeah. So, and I think one of the the big shifts that I think a lot of people, like a lot of church planners, like quote unquote, know this, like they know it in their heads. But I don't know if the switch has really been flipped for them. Um, one of the big, like, I think adjustments that needs to take place in the mind of a church planner is that your primary role is not to accomplish the work. It's not to like, you know, yeah, it's not to do the work. It's to equip other people to do the work. So it's better to, I think it's better to equip somebody else to do something that they can only do 50% as well as you can than to do it yourself, even though you might be able to do it 100% up to snuff according to your standards, it would be better and more beneficial long-term for your ministry if you could equip somebody else to do it, even if they only do it half as well as you do. Because that is actually what you're called to do as a leader, especially as, you know, a, you know, a church planter. Like you're, 
it's kind of like you're the conductor of an orchestra, right? Like the conductor has his back to the audience. He's kind of down in this hole. You don't really see him. You might kind of see his hands stick up every now and then because he's waving his wand or whatever it's called, right? I'm, I'm probably really, it's a wand. I'm offending a lot of people probably right now, but. No, it's oh, a wand. Okay, it's a conductor's well, wand. You did yeah, really I good. Yeah, I knew that. Well done. I knew that. So anyways, uh, so, you know, he's, but he's conducting, right? Without the conductor, the you're going to have a bunch of people playing instruments and they're not going to be in sync, right? What does the conductor do? Well, he helps each person understand their role in this symphony, right? And that's that the very word symphony, right? That comes from that, you know, the 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 root uh, of, you know, S-Y-M, right? Which is, you know, like where we get the word symbiotic, you know, things like it's togetherness, it's cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. And so that's precisely what the conductor's doing is he's helping all of these different pieces come together and play their own unique role uh, so that what comes out is a beautiful sound, right? And that is our job as as church planners, as, as leaders, is to help like form teams and put other people in positions to where they can use their gifts well. And whenever everyone is doing that, you get a beautiful sound that's created. I mean, like... Yeah, sure. The conductor could just try to do all the work on his own and he might be able to make some music that sound, doesn't sound half bad. You know, it's fine. It's good, but it's not going to sound near as amazing as an orchestra would sound. And I think there's so many church planners out there who like, I think they want help and they don't want all the pressure on their shoulders, but for whatever reason, there's just like a, maybe it could be just like a lack of, of trust in their team and like, kind of like a, almost like a, Oh no, I don't, I really am kind of afraid to let go of this task, or I'm really kind of afraid to entrust this person to do this thing over here. Or it could be, you know, a pride thing, you know, where, you know, the, the leader, you know, the church planner, he kind of wants to be the guy that's always talking. He wants to be the guy that's always preaching. He wants to be the guy that leads every meeting that, you know, that le- that leads all the small groups that decides what the teaching curriculum is going to be and decides what's going to happen in the kids ministry and all this stuff. And I think that if that's your approach, you're, you're going to have a difficult time yeah, building a team, developing leaders, inspiring people. It's over the long haul. I think people aren't going to enjoy like, um, you know, working alongside of you as much, um, because they're not, people pick up on the fact that you don't really trust them, that you're not really willing to, you know, delegate things like that over time. So I think this is so huge for church planners to understand that like, that's our primary role. Would, Would you agree with that? No, I absolutely would. Um, And I think there are a few things that are worth mentioning as to how all, you know, how, how does it happen? You know, I I don't think anyone, you know, getting into a situation as a church planter um, or, you know, maybe it's not even a church planter. It's just you're the sole pastor of an established church or you're at a small church um, or maybe you're at a large church and it's grown like there can be number a number of situations to where you just feel like a lot of things are on your shoulders like you have mm-hmm. to be the guy who's in all the decisions and you know i've i've heard of guys talking about trusting people with the vision and guarding the vision and um you know i i, I feel like it, so in my context one of the things that i've really tried hard to do with our core team is to communicate that we are the church mm-hmm. 
that I believe that God has given all of us um, spiritual gifts because we have been empowered and adopted and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and that I might be really good at some things, and I have a specific role to play in the church, but that I am not gifted with all things, Mm -hmm. and that my role is not to do everything, but my role, you know, I've heard pastors say this, not many, but enough to where I, I, when it, I hear it, it resonates that when you become a pastor, you're almost sidelined from the, from the action. You know, it's a much more strategic mm-hmm. role than a tactical That's role right. is what we would say in the military. Like, like your job is much more in driving the boat but you're not you you're not supposed to or you should not be in the action day to day you're very much a general uh and that at times is hard because there is trust like there's fear in what what are they saying what are they doing and there's pride i don't like the quality of what they're doing you know it's not the way that i would do it um and i think a lot of times we we as pastors overestimate our abilities and I just it's kind of like a I think we it's kind of like a coach of a football team right like a coach can like observe like man you know like my defensive end is not getting off of his blocks you know like why isn't he you know like trying to counter move and you know and like you can all but like okay coach you go out there and try to do it better than that defensive end can (laughs) like you can't you're not physically gifted to do it like you got to let your people do what they're gifted to do because you might be able to you know go oh i wish they could do it better but you're you can't you know you try to go out there and replicate what your defensive end is doing and you're not gonna be able to do it you're gonna get knocked on your tail right so yeah and I think one of the issues that is that none of us want to talk about is this tyranny of the urgent. Yep. Like we we feel like we have to do this because we, that we feel like time is our enemy. We have to do these things quickly. So whereas if we had long range vision, so let's say that we're using this analogy of a coach, he's thinking we have to win this game. Yep. Whereas if he was thinking rebuilding this team and this this organization in five years mm-hmm. that that if we lose this one game or generals who say if we lose this one battle that's okay mm-hmm. we'll learn from it we'll adapt this isn't this isn't over and so whereas if you think that this this is it this is all we have then you feel so driven that we have to make corrections we have to do things I gotta jump in I gotta get my hands dirty um, Whereas if you if you think more long term in, you know, letting that person do this, make mistakes, letting that person make more than one mistake, letting this ministry opportunity that's presented not happen right now, because resourcing it would require a lot of people to give up a lot more time than they're already given or money. And it's like if we were more patient and especially in developing leaders, because that takes time. Developing sure. leaders is slow. Yep. But it but it's force multiplication. It is, you know, in five years' time, you could have one to two leaders who can do everything you can do differently, but still do it. Yeah. Whereas you can just keep trying to do this for five years by yourself and potentially burn out, potentially have a failure of some sort. 
and those other two who could have been raised up if you had invested in them strategically, um, they're still sitting on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, it's slow. Like developing leaders is slow, but um, you'll develop more leaders and you'll actually do it, ironically, you'll do it faster by delegating to them and trusting them to do what God's called them to do than you will if you, you know, try to, you know, do everything yourself. Then, you know, you're not going to really develop any leaders. You'll develop people who can, you know, kind of turn ministry widgets, right? Like you'll develop people who can, you know, fill volunteer roles uh, and who can kind of like uh, do what they're told. You know, they can check off, you know, the list of to do's in the ministry, but that's not what we want to develop. Like we, we want to develop leaders, like people who don't need us to tell them what to do at every turn, right? You want people on your team who are let loose to do what God has gifted them to do, to, uh, to, to, to lead and to, to dream and to cast a vision, you know, for their own, you know, uh, area of responsibility within the body of Christ and like set them free to do that. And, you know, you get, I think when you do that, you get much higher levels of buy-in from the people within your church and on your team because they are invested and they've got a stake in this thing. And they see that like, I'm getting to use my gifts. Like God is working through me to serve this body, right? Like this is why it's, this is why we believe very strongly, you know, aside from the fact that, that scripture, you know, we believe lays this out. We believe in a plurality of elders and we believe that the church is served by deacons. Like we've got some incredible deacons at our church who are leading various ministries. Like I think about two of our deacons uh, lead our prayer and care ministry and they've just done a, a great job of developing that. And they're basically over being, you know, they, they are aware of and trying what their best to stay on top of different prayer needs and care needs within our body. And they're bringing those things to the attention of the elders so that when there's a benevolence need, we can meet when, uh, you know, something comes to their attention, they're helping, uh, you know, organize the church around making sure that we're praying for one another. Uh, they're, you know, just doing a great job of caring. Um, you know, we've got, uh, another deacon, who we just t- handed the reins of, of volunteer coordination over to. And so this deacon, his role really is to schedule the volunteers to make sure that people know when they're scheduled to volunteer so that the, uh, you know, our worship services on Sunday morning can happen because there's, you know, a lot of things that need to be done. And so for the elders to be freed up to do the ministry of the word and prayer, we need somebody who can kind of coordinate and conduct all that. And we've handed this ministry over to this deacon and he does a phenomenal job and he's kind of developed his own system and his own way of doing it. And he, you know, we just kind of handed the reins over to him and it's, he's so good at it. Like it's amazing. And he's, he's got an engineer's mind. So he loves putting puzzles together and that's kind of what doing this calendar is. Is, and he's done a way better job than I ever could have. Um, does he do some things every now and then that like I would do it differently? Yeah, sure he does. But at the end of the day, I, like I, there's a lot of things that God has entrusted to me as one of the pastors at our church that I, I should focus on. And that's not one of them because that's not my role. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's probably some things that I do that he would probably do differently. There's times in the sermon where, you know, I might say something where he's there sitting there to himself going, mm, I wouldn't have said that like that, or I would have said this, but that's not his role, right? My role is to, yeah. you know, to, 
to be one of the teaching pastors at the church. And I'm filling that role and he's filling another role. And we all like a symphony are, you know, no one role is more important than the other. We all equally like even the symbols, man, even the symbols are important in the symphony. Right. Like I just, I love the, the guys that play the symbols. I think they're just like so underrated and we need to give them more <laughs> shine, but even the symbols are important in the symphony. So. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I mean, it, it, it is the concept of team. And we see this in scripture with Paul writing to the Corinthian church talking about the body. I mean, we all are one body. There's a unity, but there is not uniformity. Yeah. You know, we not any one person nor their gift is more than the other. So even the lead pastor, the main preaching guy in God's economy, in God's kingdom, is still a member of that church. He is performing a servant's role, serving as the leader. And I know that's weird for a lot of people to hear, but if we understand that Jesus is the head of the church and that shepherds are under shepherds entrusted to shepherd God's people that he bought with his blood, you know, Acts um, twenty twenty eight, I think it is, then we're just standing in the place. And, and this is, so here's a fun fact. When I became a Christian, I was an egalitarian. Uh, I was very against what I understood of complementarianism. So when did you get saved then? 2013. No, I mean, like, when did you get saved into complementarianism? I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it had, I mean, very shortly therein. I, I started to read the New Testament very early in my conversion um, and then jumped in seminary four months into being a Christian, wow. which I. You well, that's know, interesting I'm because not, that's what we're going to be talking about the next episode. Did you know that? Yeah. We're going to be talking about seminary. Uh, you didn't know that because it's not on the it's not on our calendar. I changed it. Oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't tell you. No, I thought we were talking about something else, but that, <laughs> that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, so I started reading the New Testament and I mean, you just can't get away from the fact that there is differences in gender roles and yeah. that, um, you know, there's an intent that is beyond us as to God's purpose for that. And it's for the good and the flourishing of of people. Yeah. And so, you know, I can just remember, um, I'm kind of thrown off now. Where was I going well, with this? Because you're talking about how <laughs> equality is not uniformity, right? Like there's yeah, yeah. roles. So, so the husband's role, right. so Ephesians five, the husband's role as leader is to serve yep. his That's wife. Right. That we understand that Christ, this is what Paul talks about in Philippians, that Christ came in the form of a servant, humbling himself, being God, being in the likeness of God. But we know that, I mean, what in essence he's meaning is, you know, he is in the same essence of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate Mm -hmm. and took the form of a servant to serve us, that he came and died for us. And so I just remember that hitting me. That the role of husband is not one of being a receiver of goods. It is the one who is being most selfless and caring about the good of others, and it should be. And it's the same way for the pastor. You know, we should be praying for our people and loving our people and shepherding our people. We should be caring about their souls for their walk with Jesus, for their marriages, for their families. We should be doing everything we can to serve them so that they are being conformed into the image of Christ and they are being 
salt and light in their neighborhoods doing word and deed ministry and caring about all sorts of injustices and all sorts of uh, needs in their neighborhood, like individually caring for people who are hurting, who are broken, loving even their enemies. So it's like our job is not to be doing all of that and being the person's or the person who is getting all of the claim for that. Again, we're the people who we exhort them to go and do this right. and, and we send them right. out. We scatter them out, yeah. you know, our, our church members uh, Sunday afternoon to go and be Jesus right. in their marriages and in their homes yeah. and in their workplaces and in their college campus and uh, in their neighborhoods and apartment buildings and things like that. And that's a servant's mm-hmm. role. You should, as a pastor, like you should be, and I think all the elders of the church need to do this. Like you should be looking, and I would maybe even encourage you to do this. Uh, depending on, you know, this might look different depending on how big your church is. But go and start going through each of your church members. Start with the people you're personally discipling, and go. How can I help this person win for Jesus? Like, what can I do to equip them and help them bear fruit that brings glory and praise to God? How can I put them in positions where they can flourish? and serving and building up the church and flourish in mission. Like that's your win as a pastor. That's when you're succeeding. Not when you do it for them. Not when you're the one preaching every single Sunday. Like there's nothing heroic about preaching for 12 weeks in a row. If there's nothing heroic about you leading every single Bible study and wearing yourself bone, you know, thin, like there's, there's nothing heroic about that. You're, you're honestly, you're hurting yourself and you're also not really doing your job. <laughs> like I've made that sounds harsh, but you're, it's going to wear you out and it's also not going to really help your people flourish. And so start looking at your primary role as like, what can I do to help put these in position, people in position to win and to flourish. And that probably means you're going to start getting less credit. You're going to serve a lot more. You may, you know, do a lot, you know, some more things behind the scenes. Um, and, but that's okay. Like that's, and I found that's one of the biggest joys personally for me in ministry is whenever I see those who I've been investing in and discipling, whenever I start seeing them, the light bulb goes off and then they start going and, you know, doing it like there's nothing better. Like when one of my disciples starts discipling somebody else or when one of our, you know, uh, you know, elder candidates becomes an elder and then he starts teaching and preaching the word, you know, a guy who, you know, before had never preached before and didn't know anything about preaching. And now he's preaching. It's like, man, that's so rewarding to know that you played a part in that and that you're multiplying yourself as a leader. And that's how gospel impact is going to spread across your city, you know, and across the world ultimately is by doing that. And like you said, it's slower work. It's less glamorous. It's probably not going to grow as big and as fast as maybe some other stuff, you know, out there would, but it's going to, like Paul talks about in first Corinthians three, it's the difference between building on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and building with like straw and hay. So, Mm. yeah. Well, and I want to, if you're listening to this and you are, a married pastor or seminarian or church planter or leader. Um, One of the things that is so important, but I think under addressed is the, 
just marriage, like the importance of your marriage. Insofar as if you look at the qualifications in the pastoral, so in First Timothy and in Titus and in First Peter, I mean, one of the things is that you lead your family well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Jesus saying that husbands are to lead their wives as he selflessly and sacrificially led the, or leads the church, continues to lead the church. And so I feel like too often, especially in that kind of pastor-centered model where you feel like you have to be the one doing all the moving and shaking, you have to be the one who does all of the teaching, spearheads all of the initiatives and the projects and the ministries, and does, you know, just burning the candle at both ends. What you end up neglecting is what I believe is the primary ministry of any married church leader, which is your marriage, Mm. your family. That's good. And I think that what we're modeling, so one of the key aspects of being a leader and developing leaders is imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, come, I'm following Jesus, follow me. And and teaching, you know, younger Christians how to think, not micromanaging, not telling them what to do, but teach them how to think biblically about things, teach them how to develop leaders and model that by developing them, you know, but... Also model rest, model caring and loving for your family and your spouse well, um, model, uh, you know, leadership development, build a culture of leadership development to where they see you giving opportunities for other people in your church to serve and to serve out like to, if you have a deacon of children's ministry, let her take that and let her, you know, you Say, I'm here for you. I want to be your biggest cheerleader and your biggest champion. You tell me what you need. I'm here. I'm your advocate. But this is yours. I'm empowering you to do this. Yeah, you give people guardrails and give them direction because, you know, uh, what I don't want, I, I love that you what you just said what you said. I think it's an important uh, thing to kind of add. I'm not saying that you should just, you know, wash your hands of, you know, the children's ministry and wash your hands of, you know, you know, the other various ministries in the church, you know, and, and just say, well, here, you take that. That's not my problem. That's not what I'm saying. You should care about every aspect. But what you should do is give, offer help and direction, say, hey, I'm here. I will give you whatever you need to be successful in what you do. I want you to lead out on this. I want you, this is, God has gifted you and called you into this role and I trust you. I trust you Mm -hmm. to do what God has called you to do and I am here to support you and give you whatever you need as the pastor of this church. I'll supply the resources, I'll pray, I'll give you advice, I'll give you my input when you ask for it, but I'm not gonna micromanage you because I trust you to do what God's called you to do. That's one of the most empowering things you could possibly say to the other leaders in your church, your other elders, your other deacons and other lay leaders. Yeah. And, and one of, again, with modeling, so feedback, you know, model receiving godly feedback. So give opportunities for your key leaders. So if this is your, your elders and your deacons to, when you get together, ask them how you're doing on leading, ask them how you're doing on um, giving them guidance and giving them feedback, ask them, uh, you know, regularly seek out that kind of feedback, because then you're building a culture where people then want themselves to be uh, better at leading others, Mm -hmm. because it's not 
we're not advocating perfection. That's not that's not a thing. Not in a in a fallen world other than Christ. But we are advocating. I mean, I think there is biblical grounds for excellence that we're to do all things as unto the Lord. And when we understand that when we lead well, it's not for our acclaim, but it's for the flourishing of the people under us. So if you're if you're a, you know, deaconess of children's ministry, then you are caring for precious lives made in the image of Christ, and you are helping expose them to the truths of God's love in Christ, and you're helping even form families into being able to have discussions about crafts that they do or Bible stories and, and things like that. And and that is significant. That is so amazing. And so the amount of time you spend in preparing and caring for that ministry uh, is going to pay dividends in potentially leading small children to Christ, uh, making them into disciple makers and helping families you know, be equipped to, to do that in their own families. And so whether you're hospitality ministry, benevolence ministry, even scheduling, thinking about the, the deacon who's taken over your volunteer scheduling, that frees you up to be able to focus on ministry of prayer, the word and equipping. But it also is probably creating a lot of um, a lot of empowerment among the volunteers and making that a better experience to where retention would happen more often. Whereas if it was just chaos, you probably have a lot of people who didn't want to either volunteer or wouldn't want to stay on for long. We had um, just to kind of, we'll kind of wrap up just to give an example of how I've seen our, you know, other leaders like our deacons step up and, um, you know, do some, some really cool stuff is we had uh, a meeting a few weeks ago and they voiced just some concerns over, you know, some of of the tendencies they were seeing and volunteers at our church and felt like there were some things that need to be addressed. And one of our deacons who uh, leads our first impressions, you know, she had a, uh, uh, an idea about kind of doing a, a brief training after church to kind of reemphasize, Hey, this is why we serve. Uh, and you know, she thought that would be a good thing to come from one of the elders and then to, uh, break out and to do breakout groups and do a couple rounds of breakout groups for prospective, um, volunteers. So this event was for current volunteers and prospective volunteers where they could come and learn about the different areas that you can serve and hear from. And so each breakout was led by a different deacon who leads a kind of a different department of ministry within our church. And, um, you know, she, you know, this, this deaconess that we've got, she came up with this idea for this, you know, kind of training event to help, uh, not only help our current volunteers, uh, you know, grow, but also to help raise new volunteers. And we did it this past Sunday and it was fantastic fantastic, man. It was just went so good. We had this massive turnout. Uh, one of our elder, other elders, uh, Thomas, he did a phenomenal job just addressing the entire church on this is why we serve. Uh, and then each of the deacons did a great job of leading their breakouts. We had a bunch of new people who come who hadn't volunteered before. And we had all, most of our current volunteers who were there to kind of just be reminded like, Hey, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Like we're serving ultimately because we want to help people know Jesus and make him known in and around the world. That's our mission as a church. And it was just so cool because as I was reflecting back on that, that was all driven by lay leaders in our church. So that wasn't my idea. It wasn't my vision. All they did is they came to us as the elders and said, Hey, we'd like to do this. Can you guys give us, can, can we make this happen? And we just gave them the resources they needed to make it happen and, you know, help, help provide, you know, help handhold them as we, you know, plan the event and stuff like that. But other than that, they carried it out. So, um, those are the kind of thing. And I'm, 
I'm not sharing that to toot my own horn. I'm just sharing that to say like that's an, an a recent example of a way we've done that well. And I, I think we have a lot of room to grow in delegation, even me especially. Like I feel like I've got a lot of room to grow. Even as we've talked on this episode, I'm like, man, I should probably preach less, you know, like... Uh, you know, I, I let, I let other guys in the pulpit, but I should probably do that more. Uh, I should get, be giving other guys more teaching opportunities. And so, uh, you know, just, it's a good thing to think through, good thing to think through as, as pastors and church planners. It is. And it will bless not only your church, but it will bless, especially in, in today's time with transients and promotions and Lord willing, you know, if you're a local church pastor and you're listening to this, um, you know, we're talking about the potential church that will be planted from your church and or your successor. And so the, when you create a culture where you are raising up leaders and equipping them and empowering them, encouraging them, you it can only be beneficial for the kingdom of God. Not necessarily only your local church, but the entire kingdom as you are equipping people to serve the local church and to serve others and to lead better in their homes and in ministry. So it is so worthwhile. I mean, I was thinking about our last podcast with Clint. I mean, this, this really is, um, this is something that's kingdom wide. It's not just only focused on our local churches. Yeah. It's good. Well, man, it's a good conversation today. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to let our listeners know, if you guys didn't know, that we've got a blog on www.getinthetrenches.com. So not only do we talk about stuff like this, but we blog about stuff like this. So uh, Logan and I each attempt to do one post per week. Usually... It, I fail at this so attempt, do I. everyone, so do I. just so but you're aware. Usually, this. at least once a week, there's one post, whether it's from Logan or myself, there's at least one blog post a week. Um, and so we'd love for you guys to go check that out at getinthetrenches.com. And then you just click the blog tab at the top of the page. Also on our website, you can find links to all the other episodes we've done. There's over 80, I think it's close to 85 total episodes. Um, you know, uh, for those of you who are kind of newer to the podcast, Logan joined me as uh, the co-host of In the Trenches uh, for season five. So this is, I think, our seventh episode now. Before uh, Logan was with me, it was Matt and so Matt and I did four seasons. So there's still a bunch of old content uh, on there. And we're actually going to be having Matt on as a guest in a couple of weeks, man, uh, which will be pretty cool. So we're going to get to catch up with him and see what's going up, going on up in Canada. It's going to be awesome. So I look forward yeah, to it. Yeah, me too. So uh, if you haven't, make sure you subscribe to In the Trenches on your favorite streaming platform, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and leave a written review and a rating. That really helps increase the exposure of our podcast so that when people search for ministry podcasts or church planting podcasts, In the Trenches will come up uh, instead of those other bad church planting podcasts. I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's no bad church planting podcasts out there. So, but if you think this podcast is beneficial and helpful, uh, We'd love for you to help us get it into the hands of more church planters so that it can bless them too. We want to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches. Trenches.